Hello and welcome to the Renaissance Polymath. I'm your host, Toby Gagnon, and this time I am joined by Aaron Barry. And on this episode, we would like to discuss being a parent as an educator. Let's go ahead and get things started. So welcome, Aaron. Thank you. You're laughing over there already. You're smiling and laughing. It's okay. You don't have to be nervous. I'm nervous too. I'm a little nervous. Well, that's okay. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. But thank you for coming out. And sure. I know it's it's difficult being a parent, getting time away from the family. It, it always hurts to be away. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so thankfully it's after their bedtime. That's good. Yes. That's I good. Can, I can come and focus. <laughs> Try to plan it that way. Yes. Good. Good deal. Well, we're obviously friends. It, it, there's no secret. Uh, we're friends, and our children have become friends, and they were actually friends at a very young age, so that was pretty cool, and uh, I always I always am thankful for the fact that they became friends, because obviously we got to, and obviously I happen to know that you are a parent of young children, and a very well-educated woman, and you also work as an educator, which mm-hmm. is something that I wish I had the strength to do going back, but... Um, before we dive into being a parent, I think it's it's it would be cool for the listeners to understand life as an educator and going back to I guess high school or or, or maybe before that. When when did you know you wanted to be a teacher? I don't know that I can pinpoint exactly when it started. It's just one of those things that like always was in my future. Um, I was that kid that. I don't know, you want to call it the teacher's pet or whatever it is, but I was that kid that always asked for the extra worksheets. And at the end of, at the end of the school year, when they were cleaning out filing cabinets, you know, taking all of the extra stuff so that I could play school over the summer. Um, so it just kind of was always ingrained in me somehow. I wish I could say it was something in my family, but it wasn't. Um, and then, you know, in high school, I just. I, I did a lot of things where I worked with uh, younger classes. I had some experiences where I had blank times in my high school schedule where I was able to go across the street to the elementary school and like read to kindergartners. Um, and I worked in a child care center. That was my first job, my first like real job, I guess you would call it. So um, it just kind of was a natural path for me. So when I was looking for schooling options um, at the end of high school, that was that was the only degree that I was interested in. So it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision. It just was a natural path, it mm-hmm. sounds like. Yep. Interesting. So yeah. when, when you talk about high school, it was I'm guessing you had like block scheduling then where mm-hmm. you had the, the free periods like you're yep. talking about. Yep. I had the same thing in high yeah. school. And my whole senior year, I had two free periods every other day and then one free period on opposite days of that. So what I did similar to you, I actually went and, um, I did a co-op with my sixth grade teacher that I had when Mm -hmm. I was coming up through elementary school. And I went back and I was basically a teacher's aide for him through that whole period of time. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. So our elementary school was literally right across the street. We took a tunnel. There was an underground tunnel. And so all I had to do was just sign out at the front office and go across the street and do my thing and then come back. So we, had, nice. we, had, we had a small town and the schools were little. Yeah. I had to drive my car, oh, but that was yeah. fun because I was 17. <laughs> I got to drive my car. I had a very, very small school and it was, I'm thankful for that. I think that made me who I am today. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you had that time in high school and you mentioned you started looking at colleges. Mm-hmm. What did you look for in a college? Just somebody that had an education platform that was known for it. What did you look for in a school? Yeah, so I um, 
I, I went the you know state route, obviously, for financial reasons. And so out of those schools, um, I just I found the one that was most known for education, or at least the couple that were most known. And then I did the whole college tour thing. Um, so my my dad and I, we you know we ventured out to all these different colleges and we did the tours and we got to feel what it was like, be there for the whole day. And on top of what was a good, education program. I'm very much a aesthetic person. So it was one of those things that I just kind of needed to feel like what felt right. And so I landed on the school that I went to and um, and I feel like I got a great education program out of it. Fantastic. So like the, you had to feel the vibe. I had to feel the vibe. So yes. was it like Frisbee in the, in the, 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 what is it, courtyard? No, what's it called in college? It's not the square. It's not the courtyard. Oh God, that's going to drive me know. crazy. <laughs> I always say it in every 80s and 90s movie was the quad. on the quad. the quad. That's what it was. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hacky sack. I guess you could say the there was a quad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was just, it was, this is going to sound ridiculous. It was pretty. That's not <laughs> ridiculous know, so at all. You, you kind of went in and, you know, there was, there was flowers and really nice, beautiful brick buildings. And so you just kind of, I felt comfortable when I was there and I just felt like this is a place that I could see myself walking, you know, walking through campus and kind of being happy and feeling safe um, while at the same time getting the quality education that I was hoping for. So you bring up an interesting point. You talked about, you know, a pretty environment, which obviously, yeah, I wouldn't want to learn in a dungeon either. <laughs> right. But I'm curious, and, and I'll, I guess I'll jump ahead here. Do you feel through, through your your time as an educator and obviously through your own education has there ever been talk about setting an environment for the students? And, oh, yeah. and what does that environment look like or feel like? For sure. I mean, any student wants to walk into a classroom that feels inviting. Um, and so, you know, I think about the teachers at my school and the, the, the Pinterest classrooms that they create. So Pinterest didn't exist when I started as an educator. <laughs> you know, yeah. so so my classroom was very much going to the educator store and buying the posters and buying, you know, all the bulletin board sets and, you know, just making it look appealing to the eye. I color coordinated everything. Um, but now you've got teachers that, that set it up like a theme. You know, it might be like a Toy Story classroom or... Um, you know, I have one teacher that has like a ship's ahoy and, you know, she's got anchors and all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's really putting the teacher's personality kind of into the classroom. And, um, so when the kids walk in, they say, you know, wow. And, you know, I'm, I want to be here just like, you know, just like I did at that college campus. I mean, it's just one of those things that like, if you can feel comfortable walking in, you know, that you're going to be comfortable in there and you know that you're going to have kind of a better experience, I guess. Focused more on what you're being taught versus right. having to constantly look over your shoulder yeah. or just that, that weird, uneasy feeling. I mean, if you walk into a classroom and there's bare walls and, you know, the desks are all in rows and, you know, it's just, it's boring. It doesn't, it's not stimulating to the eye. It's not um, exciting. And I guess for students, we want it to be exciting. We want them to love wanting to come to school. So if that means going into your pocket a little bit more to, to decorate your room. And, and especially the kids that I work with, I work in, you know, a title one school. And so I don't know what kind of environment they live at, you know, live in at home. And, um, 
So it's just one of those things that we want them to feel like it's a happy place when they when they walk in. So explain for for, for listeners who might not know what Title One is. Could mm-hmm. you just briefly give us like a one sure. sentence on what that is? So Title One um, means that they receive extra money from the federal government. Um, so in my particular school, a hundred percent of my students are considered at the poverty level. So free and reduced lunch, um, and then because of that, we receive the extra funding for them to have additional resources or we get additional staff members, um, so students are weighted differently. So instead of, you know, one teacher for every, you know, 24 kids, we get one teacher for every 18, so we try to, like, lower class sizes, and um, so we just get extra funding to be able to pay those salaries. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I I am... You you were explaining the classroom setup and all that, and it really got me thinking about my education and going back to elementary school and high school specifically. And I I love ancient Egypt. It, it's just something about ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. I mean, my pets are named Cleo and Caesar, mm-hmm. you know, and and we have another dog, Athena. I love it. It and I'm trying to remember what really got me into it, and it was that sixth grade teacher of mine, and he was really into ancient Egypt, and mm-hmm. he taught it a lot, and in, in the class and stuff and that was kind of the theme of his classroom was you know 3000 bc and, and that whole thing and he had a lot of egyptian hieroglyphs and imagery and all that stuff in the room so i think that's really what sparked it but mm-hmm. then i also think about my high school years and you were talking about blank walls and blank desks and that's exactly what my high school was there was nothing there was one teacher who always challenged the status quo and always was pushing the limits on what the administration would allow um and uh, I, I absolutely loved his class. He was introductory to physical science, IPS, uh, freshman year in high school. And I remember the very first class, he did something that, oh my God, we'll probably get him fired then and today. But he um, he had a beaker, a little, little test tube thingy. And uh, he told, uh, actually, the kid who ended up uh, introducing my wife and I, <laughs> he was sitting on the end and he said, hold out your hand, I want you to catch this this test tube thing I'm gonna throw it at you hard and it's this glass piece and he backed up like 30 feet and he wound up and sure shit he threw that thing and of course the kid moved his hand because it was a piece of glass coming at him and I'm glad it wasn't me because my dumb ass would have tried to catch it and I ended up in in the nurse but he was proving a point like there's a common sense thing or something but I remember that was literally the first 10 minutes in class he threw this thing and it shattered all over the back so that would probably get you fired these days probably (laughs) throwing glass (laughs) at kids yeah. yeah Gosh, yeah. different times, yes, different times. Yeah, but it was uh-huh. a lot of fun. And yeah. that, oh gosh, that makes such, you make such a good point with the Pinterest thing. And not that teachers have it easier today, because I, I would never even begin to suggest that teachers today have it easier than years ago, mm. obviously. Especially now, right now. When everybody's got a, fo- yes, <laughs> yeah. right now, good point. And everybody's got a phone and a camera and they're right. antagonists and things like that. Before you could, you know, do stuff and it wasn't caught on camera mm-hmm. and now everything's mm-hmm. on camera. So I would never begin to say that, but from a decoration standpoint, I feel like they have more resources to be creative. If that, I don't know, I, if that makes sense, right? Your your creativity muscle, you're not relying on your own. You can feed off of other people. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you just all you have to do is, you know, pirate ship classroom, and you Google it, and there's 800 Google images for them to, you know, even if they don't want to buy it you know, to be able to create it and, you know, pull out their poster board and make whatever it is that they want to make. We have poster makers, so they just have to find an image and 
you know, run it through the poster maker and then all of a sudden you have a, a giant picture to put on your wall. So there's there's so many resources for them to to kind of do whatever it is that they want to do. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So what um, you you go through your your high school years, you go through your college, you get your undergrad. Mm-hmm. What did you do after undergrad? After undergrad, I immediately moved um, to the South where I grew up. The whole time that I was in college, they were saying, oh, you know, you, you're coming out at the right time. This is this is the time when all of the, I think what they call it, the baby boom, the baby booming year, whatever it is, that, that generation was supposed to be retiring. Hmm. And so it was supposed to be this like open-ended job opportunity for all of us teachers that were coming out of college. And then budget cuts happened. Oh. And they laid off lots of people. They cut jobs left and right, and therefore there was nothing. Um, and so when we had our recruitment fairs, all of the local districts were basically saying, like, just we advise you to go out of state, get some experience, get your master's, and then come back. Um, and so, so that's what I did. So I you went out, you I went went out of elsewhere. state? I went out of state. I went south. Um, and I... You know, right after college, I was offered, I think, five different jobs on the spot at our job fair, but they were all southern, southern states. So, again, I found the one that was like the right fit for me. Um, and southern states is that is that still a common theme? I, because obviously, I grew up in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. I think you might have grown up in mm-hmm. the Northeast as well. I yep. feel like the public education system was pretty strong in the Northeast, at mm-hmm. least when I went through. But now living in in the South, the Southeast, I feel like the public education system isn't the same strength as what it was in the Northeast. Um, Is that why they were recruiting? uh, You know, I really honestly, I don't know. I mean, there's... There's people that have said, you know, the southern states, they'll hire anybody off the street, which, you know, (laughs) doesn't make you feel real good. (laughs) But at the same time, I feel like, you know, this is, this is the only, I mean, this is, this is the location that my career has been built, and I don't feel that I have, um had any kind of like second degree experience you know I feel like it's it's pretty strong I mean once kind of common core came around everybody all states were doing the same thing so I feel like we're all just kind of put on a a level playing field at that point I I never really felt like one was superior to the other gotcha so everybody when the common core came out the north the south it didn't really matter what part of the country you were in it it helped to Give everybody, everybody. Read every, yeah, yeah, read from the same book, yeah. so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, so you come down to the south, you get a job. I'm assuming you yep. go. What What was your first role as an educator? I was a fifth grade teacher. Fifth grade teacher. Fifth grade teacher. Did you like it? I loved it. Good. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think I wanted fifth grade. I came in. I student taught in third and fourth. So at third was what I loved. I just I love that age group. They're independent, but yet still dependent on you. Like they're still kind of like in that. I need you, but I don't need you mm-hmm. phase. Um, and then I interviewed at several schools and was offered a job as a fifth grade teacher. And I was terrified because fifth graders are big and I am not a big person. Um, and I fell in love with it. And so from there, I did that for seven years as a fifth grade teacher. Okay. And at the same time, were you were you furthering your own education? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, followed the advice of... Um, you know, when I first started out in my career where they said, get some experience, get your master's, because in the state that I grew up in, in the state where I received my undergrad, you have to have your master's in order to maintain your license. Um, and so I 
went back and got my master's degree in reading. So during that time that I was teaching, that's what I was doing. I was going back to school and getting my master's, um, which then led me kind of to my next career endeavor, which was to become a literacy facilitator. So that was what I did for the next six years, I think. Yeah, six years. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So credentials, Mm -hmm. what do those look like? Obviously, you have your master's. Mm-hmm. Your master's in childhood education and literacy, I'm assuming? I have my undergrad in childhood education. Okay. I have my master's in reading. Mm-hmm. And then I have a second master's in educational leadership. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you really took this continuing education thing to the <laughs> next level. Well, you know, I took advantage of not... I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I had time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also was very fortunate that... Moving into a Title I school, I was also given the opportunity to have my master's paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I initially started paying out of pocket, and then I transferred schools. And then once I transferred schools, then the rest of that degree was was paid for. Um, and then from there, when I received my second master's, it was part of a, a cohort that you had to get recommended for. Um, so there was a, an application process and an interview process and a whole screening um, component where they only accepted 20 people into my specific cohort. And then um, it wasn't fully paid for, but I only had to pay just a certain amount per per class. And then the rest of it was covered by my school district. Percentage or fixed rate? Fixed rate. Fixed rate. Okay, that's not bad. That's yeah. really not bad at all. Yeah. So, so you knew you knew the exact amount out of pocket. It wasn't like you had to do the math to figure right. it out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it was kind of a no-brainer, um, you know, to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and then I also have my certification to teach the gifted students as well. So that was another opportunity that was presented to me and covered the cost was covered by my school district. So I was really fortunate to kind of get all of those degrees so I kind of can can pick and choose where I want to go, which is nice. I like that. So mm-hmm. listeners, you can obviously see why I chose Erin to sit and talk. She's, like I said, a, a well-educated woman. So your career as an educator started in fifth grade. You did that for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then you moved and and did the reading aspect of it mm-hmm. for another six. How, how has it progressed since then? So that's where you started. Where, where are you now? And what did that process look like? So currently, I'm an assistant principal. Um, at the same school district that I started in. And uh, as far as the process, so when I was the literacy specialist at my school, um, I don't really know how it happened. It just kind of happened. I I worked for a a boss who kind of delegated leadership in certain ways. And so the natural progression for me was he kind of made me more of like a, a dean of students, so to speak. So I was an administrator over... Um, a couple of grade levels, and when you say delegated leadership, yes, is that just a nice way of saying this guy didn't do his own damn job, so he passed it to everybody else? I mean, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, yes, so to speak. I, no, okay, greatest but... man I've ever met, and greatest boss that I've ever met, um, or I've ever had, and just I was really lucky and blessed to have him as a boss. But at the same time, he, you know, he very hands off, very. I wouldn't say that. He was very hands-on when it came to, like, the kids. He loved the kids. He did a lot of things with them. Um, And he always was, like, the big picture kind of person. Um, So he had big visions. But then he, you know, didn't really have the stepping stones to make those things happen, 
which is where he hired Will. So okay, so so yeah. it was actually strategic. It sounds like yeah, on his part. it was okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Now, are you glad? You, you mentioned he was the best boss you were for. I'm mm-hmm. assuming you were glad to have worked for him. Yeah. Did it feel that way at the time? No. I mean, yes, it did. It did. But at the same time, I mean, I would come home. You ask my husband. I would come home angry all the time. I'd say, you know, he. This so-and-so is yeah. giving me this and that. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. he know I need to sleep? Yes, but then, you know, when I left that school, I was a blubbering mess because I knew that I was probably never going to experience anyone like him. Like, he just, he he loved you like you were his own kid. Um, and, you know, he, that's where I, I am where I am right now because of the leadership that he, I guess he saw in me and kind of pushed me to do like that. That program that I was in for my master's in educational leadership, he was the one that recommended me for that. Um, both him and the assistant principal at the time kind of pushed me into it. And at first I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. Um, but I... But they obviously saw something in you that so. you maybe didn't see in yourself yeah. at the time. Yeah. Okay. So do you still keep into contact? I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Yep. And does he still, is he still working or is he retired? Yeah, he's now? retired. He's retired. Mm-hmm. I bet you he's loving it too. He is. Oh yeah. His... Although knowing... Knowing that type of personality, he's very likely involved in something with children still, I would imagine. Uh, he, well, his, his own children. Okay. So he's got two um, children that are in college, and one is uh, a pretty successful football player on a pretty well-known um, college football team. Fantastic. So he is just loving life, being able to go to the games, and I mean, he goes to pretty much every game that he can. And, That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's what we all want at yeah. some point, right? Yep. I mean, he was doing that, I guess, when he was still working, but now he's able to fully commit to Okay, so I'll foreshadow a bit here. Did you... You mentioned this individual, obviously, is... is I would, I'm going to put words in your mouth. A mentor mm-hmm. for you, professionally. Are they also a mentor for you personally? Mm-hmm. Did you see how they were as a parent and try to model yourself similarly? Uh, or yes. what did you learn? Yes and no. I mean, I think more so um, he was a mentor um, just in being a, a people person and how you um, project yourself onto to people around you. I mean, he, he was very family-oriented. Uh, family was always first priority, and so I always try to you know, keep that in mind you know, I'm working with the staff that I work with now. And um, so, yeah, and I guess as a parent too, I mean, he's completely hands-on with his kids. He, you know, goes to everything that he possibly can. In fact, the very, the day that I interviewed with him, uh, I didn't even interview with him. I interviewed with his team because he met me and then he said, all right, I got to go to soccer practice. And so he left the interview and, (laughs) you know, was like, I trust whatever they say and then left to go to his son's soccer practice at the time. So... Yes. What a first impression. Yeah, I mean... Hi, you're going to be my boss and you're not even going to take the time. But that's who he was. Okay. I mean, that's who he was. Set the tone early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So, I guess as a parent, too, because, you know, I always want to make sure that I'm going to be there for everything, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and in his world, work was important, but but not as important as your family. And so, you know, making sure that you have a balance, but at the same time, like, knowing what your priorities are my um so the ceo of my organization today we we're having our national sales meeting all week and um 
he was, of course, it's all virtual, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not in another state. I get to be home for this. I just have to sit in front of the computer with a headset on, which isn't terrible. But he, um, he said something that I had never heard before. And it's not that I hadn't heard it. I hadn't heard it the way that he said it was somebody said life balance, like, like work life balance. And he said, work life balance is BS. What you're looking for is harmony because work life balance gives the impression that you're 50% here, 50% there, when that's probably not the case. What you're looking for is harmony. And that was something that was powerful to me. I'm like, you know, that, that does make a lot of sense because I do find myself, especially 2020, et cetera, you know, I'm, I'm being a parent and I, I'm balancing my family life or trying to harmonize my family life with work. So I could go from typing an email to a, a, a customer, a client, a, a dealer, whatever, and in the middle of that email, turn around and, and get down and play with Matchbox cars or mm-hmm. something like that. So I, I completely understood that. And it was interesting to hear him say it because he's a parent of multiple himself and he's obviously a CEO of an organization, which one could argue how much work does a CEO do? Um, this individual, actually, he he is the reason our company exists. So he is very hands-on and mm-hmm. he's, he's great to, you know, leadership starts at the top down. We'll talk about that a little later, I'm sure. But uh, to, it was weird to hear that from somebody, you know, work-life balance is BS. And I was like, okay, you have my attention. What's yeah. coming next? Mm-hmm. And he said, it's about harmony. Do you, first time you're hearing this, obviously, mm-hmm. what's your first impression with that? Put you on the spot. Yeah, I know. I might have to get more wine for this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that that's pretty accurate. I, I can tell you with certainty that I'm not a 50-50 person. I mean, I don't have 50% of my life at work and 50% of my life at home I think it's always teetering um you know I there are times that I have to spend more time at work um than I do at home and then there's times that I'm always going to spend more time at home than I do with my work and so I feel like that's where the harmony piece comes in where it's you just you have to find a way to to make that be there when you need to be there when yeah. it's important right. to be there. Yeah. Knowing that those little eyes are always watching you. Right. And but at the same time still I, it, there's a reason children have what they have and it's because the parents work for it, right? And and they need to make whatever they can mm-hmm. to to be able to provide for their families. However that looks for whatever family unit you live in. You got to do that, and and in your case, obviously, you are a professional. You're an educator. You're a vice principal. That takes a lot of time, especially mm-hmm. as you mentioned at a, at a Title One school. So obviously, yeah, you're not going to be fifty fifty. There's right. going to be days where they're long and they're hard yeah. and they're arduous. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. But then there are times where you can spend that time with the family, especially when it matters. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's where the harmony comes in. It's like the understanding, and and you know, I have a. a my husband is super understanding and like knows I gotta be at work late, and so we just we just make it work. And I think that's where the harmony, I guess, comes in. Harmonize, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so before you became a parent, uh-huh. right? We're, we're we're getting okay. We we've got through the <laughs> the educational aspect, um, the educator aspect. Before you became a parent. How did your career and how did your experience, and we touched on this a little bit already, how did your experiences shape the vision or idea of being a parent for you? Obviously, you had your mentor that you looked at and looked to 
how, how did your life as an educator, dealing with students of all kinds and, and parents of varying degrees of involvement, let's say, um, how did that shape how you wanted to be a parent? Your vision? I mean, because I don't know, I don't know that being an educator necessarily shaped my vision of being a parent. I think that came from what I experienced as a kid growing up in what my household was like. And, you know, my dad, I lost my mom at a very young age. And so my dad was both my mom and my dad. And, you know, thinking about just like we were talking about with my, you know, previous boss, he was very hands-on. I mean, he came to, came to everything. And so I knew, always knew that I wanted to be a mom. And I always knew that I wanted to, to do things like my dad did. I always felt safe. I felt I was happy. Like I had a happy childhood. Um, and so I think that shaped it. But then as an educator, you know, there's pieces that you pull in. So dealing with parents as a teacher, you know, saying, you know, this parent's never involved. I'm going to be involved as a parent. I'm going to make sure that I'm on the PTA. I'm going to make sure that that if I have an issue, I talk to the teacher. I'm going to make sure that um, I'm going to make sure that I buy a teacher, you know, nice gifts because, you know, there's, there's all these things that like you experience as a teacher that you, you know, you think I don't want to be that parent or I want to be this parent. Um, the one that is always trying to help out or the one that's being the room mom and bringing snacks and, you know, just, just having my kid know that I'm invested in their education um, and not financially, but emotionally, emotionally, emotionally invested. Right. Yeah. And I think some people get that confused. They're like, of course I'm invested in my child's yeah. education. I, I pay for their school. I pay right. for a private school. And, and while that can be good because that does provide them maybe some opportunities that other children may not have. Oh my gosh. You, you know, you, you talking about your, your childhood and how, you know, that shaped who you wanted to be as a parent because mm-hmm. you wanted to emulate that mm-hmm. uh i had i feel i had the exact opposite of that i'm not saying i had a horrible childhood please don't mm-hmm. don't read into it that way you know, listeners or anything like that but there were plenty of things in my childhood that i can look back on and say i am never going to do this i i when i am a parent i will do the opposite mm-hmm. of x y or z so maybe it sounds like you maybe got a little bit of that as an educator i did yeah, I mean, working in the schools that I've worked in, I mean, there's always there's always going to be those parents that, as a teacher, just kind of ugh, get under your skin and, you know, go off the handle for the smallest things. Um, and they don't listen or they don't want to understand or they don't want to hear, you know, where you're coming from. You know, you their child failed a test. Well, instead of saying you know, what happened, where, where did he go wrong, or, you know, what didn't he, what didn't he know, they just start going off on me for failing him, you know, so that was one of those things that I was like, I'm never, I'm never going to do that as a parent, like, if my child brings home a bad grade, we're going to sit down, and we're going to look at it together, and say, okay, what did you not study, you know, like, I know there's, I know that they are more involved, the kid, the kid is involved, and we have to make sure that we, you know, get to the root of the issue. It's not going to be the teacher's fault. So I don't want to always blame the teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things that 
as parents or parents that I experienced that I said, mm, no, I'm, I'm not going to be like that as parents. Never. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I can believe it. As it, my short time as a, a, the teacher's aide and stuff like that through high school and through college, I did learn that, man, I love these kids, but man, I can't stand these parents. Yeah. I couldn't, and that was... Parents are tough. I mean, but at the same time, I will say, you know, I'm never, I'm never just going to go over the teacher's head and go straight to the principal. Oh, right. But I've done that. (laughs) (laughs) I've done that, you know? So I say all these things like, like, you know, I've gone, my kids aren't school age, um, but at the same time, you know, in the, in the child care that they're in right now I've gone straight to the director because I feel like they need to make that change um so some of the things that I've said I've never gonna I'm never gonna do as a parent I've done you've already done (laughs) yeah so (laughs) off to a great start you know and it's not that it's but you did them I feel you you knowing you I feel you went in and and I'm completely paraphrasing and summarizing and, and making it assumptions here but i would assume given your background that you didn't go in off the handle you went in with here is the issue yeah here is what i'm trying to do to fix the issue what are you trying to do to fix the issue right i'm always going to be an advocate for my kids always and i believe looking back that that's what those parents were doing too maybe they just didn't have the right approach um and so you're right. I go into that with a different mentality. So I go to the director. I might go over the teacher's head, but I try to come solution oriented versus just going off the deep end. So, so for those, yes. so for for the parents out there who, who listen to this, who do have children that are school age, regardless of what age that is, whether it's kindergarten or or sometime in college, what would be a advice that you would give them for dealing with? An F or or a bad grade because I always love the teachers like well how how do you how could you give my student or, or to give my child this grade it's like I didn't make this up bro they yeah. earned every bit of that right. don't you worry mm-hmm. <laughs> what what advice would you give a parent interacting with a teacher whether it's at a parent teacher conference or a special one off thing as an educator what advice would you give them I mean you the, mentioned solutions oriented yeah so the solution is sit down with your child and look at the assignment and look at the ones that he got wrong and you know for me as a teacher I always wrote notes on everything so I wrote questions or I wrote like what page number that they should have found it on or whatever the case may be so so when dealing with a bad grade you know if that's what we're talking about the the solution would be trying to figure out with your child like where the error was um, and then approaching the, the teacher and asking, you know, is there anything they can do for extra credit or can they take this test again? Or, you know, that would be the solution. Um, and, and we do that. We do that as all of our teachers are expected to, you know, if they're giving some kind of assessment and the kids don't show mastery on it, then they need to provide some sort of remediation and then offer that assessment again so that they have an opportunity to show that they've learned it. Um, and so I feel like any kind of parent, rather than, you know, being upset about the bad grade, thinking about what is it that I can do to help my child earn a better one. 
So something that I have had to learn <laughs> the hard way, so to speak, was, you know, looking back on it, man, I was an angry kid in high school. And, and it was it was not because I was just an angry person. It was because I was confused mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to how to reconcile that or how to come to terms with that, so to speak. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the, the puberty hormone stuff. Of course, that has its own thing that, that we'll get to. I'm sure as parents, we will eventually get there and sit oh back gosh. and go, oh, my God. There no, would probably be a lot more wine I'm involved. not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> we got plenty of time. I know. Thank um, goodness. But I look back and I go, my gosh, I was such an angry child. And I feel that that was something that I was seeing frequently. Therefore, that's what I was emulating. And... It took me a long time as an individual, long before I became a parent, to have that self-reflection and say, you know what, maybe I need to calm down a little bit. Maybe I need to sit back and understand what's going on before I make a rash decision. And as a parent now, uh, even even today, you know, we're, we're throwing the ball in the house, which is something I was never allowed to do. And I see why now. But, you know, the ball hits something and it falls over. And my initial reaction was anger. Mm-hmm. And then I realized nothing broke. Whatever fell down could be picked up. And my child was laughing. So, I mean, what what was really the problem with that? So right. my initial reaction of anger, I had to take a step back and really look at the big picture, going back to that, the, the situation as a whole. And maybe that's something that parents can do for their children, regardless of what age, is if they're having behavioral problems at school or whatever, be humble maybe, take a step back, take a look at the big picture and listen, of course, then you bring in the aspect of, I don't know, personal responsibility, which is mm-hmm. ha- tough to come by today. Yep. So, okay. Well, good. So, all right. We talked about your education. We talked about before you were a parent. Mm-hmm. Once you became a parent, mm-hmm. I am sure, like, I, I, I know I can speak for myself, things change, but I'm sure your view of childcare was shaped by your experiences and knowledge of childhood education and of course your own education itself what did you look for and what could the listeners look for if they're trying to choose the right child care specifically what should they look for that is something that is good i'm not saying like oh my god every place should have xyz but something that's yeah. like hey this is a call out and what should they absolutely just run away from yeah screaming that's hard it's hard to find someone to trust your child with um no one's gonna do it as good as you uh and 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 i'll be honest i still am always always looking um for for something better you know it's it's just one of those things that um i don't know that i'll ever be like fully 100 percent satisfied with with the care that you know my kids are getting because i feel like there's just always something better that you know that could take place but i will say that like when I was going through the process of looking for childcare, I mean, I feel like this has been like the theme of the night. But I, you have to feel it, right? You have mm. to, you have to go in and you have to feel. Is it does it feel right? Um, so in the process of my search, I walked into places, immediately walked out. I walked into places and just kind of sat in the waiting room, waiting for the director to, you know, come get me to to go on the tour. And while being in there, I could hear teachers yelling at kids. Oh. Um, and, you know, I knew right away that this is, this is not the place for, 
you know, for my kids to be. Um, and in the place that, you know, where my kids are now, you know, it, like I said, there's, there's always something that they could do better. There's, you know, there's always things that I wish were different, but at the same time, like when I went into that particular location, I got walked around, I walked into a room, there were teachers that were on the ground interacting with the babies. And at that time my, my child was going in as an infant. Um, and so that's the room that I'm obviously going to, you know, pay the most attention to, but she also took me into every other room, even though my child was only going to be, you know, 12 weeks going in, she took me all the way up to the school age room so that I could see kind of what the trajectory of what that was going to look like. And, you know, I got to see that there's opportunities for them to have, you know, playtime and like imagination central. I don't know what they call it. They call it the village. But, you know, oh, okay. it's, it's wherever they go where they can kind of, you know, just run and play and play make-believe and, you know, have those social interactions. And um, the teachers are, from what I've heard in there, just, they're kind to the kids. My kid's happy when he comes home. He likes going to school. Um, you know, and knowing that he's not school age but will eventually be, I, I want him to have that tone set for what school's going to be like. And right now I feel like he would happily put on his book bag and, you know, walk into a kindergarten class and, you know, be ready to take on the world. And he's not going to be afraid to, you know, take risks and he's not going to be afraid to meet new people. And, you know, he's he's learned how to share and he's learned how to, you know, be kind. And, you know, I feel like they're teaching him those life skills. And so that's that's what I'm looking for in a child care option. So more than just it's more than just the room you're going into, you were impressed that they, and I'm guessing you didn't ask, hey, can I see the other classrooms? That was just part of the tour. They were mm-hmm. taking you on that. Mm-hmm. So that was okay. So yeah. maybe that's something that, that other parents could look at is, hey, when you go for a tour, what do they do that, that you don't specifically ask for? Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that when when my wife and I were going to look they did a similar thing for us. They showed us everything and they showed us, uh, you mentioned a village, they showed us the village thing. And I remember the one thing that I was concerned about, and gosh, I was ahead of my time, wasn't I, was cleaning. Like how often did mm-hmm. they clean, especially in the sure. the infant room? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was cool before it was cool. Yeah. Right? I mean, that just goes without saying, like I, it's gotta be, it's gotta be clean. But at the same time, the kids are putting things in their mouths all day long. And so I know they're probably doing the best that they can. Right. Yeah. Something else that mattered to me when I was looking at something was I grew up in an extremely small town, as I believe you did, mm-hmm. and I, as a child, never went to a daycare facility. It was always at home, and then when it was kindergarten, I went to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I had friends who worked at childcare facilities while they were in high school. After school, they'd go over and they'd work you know, at a daycare, Mm -hmm. so-and-so's mom ran a daycare. I did not want that for my child because I know what high school children are like. (laughs) Having been one and having seen it, um, they're less interested in that, right? They're they're not paying attention, especially with cell phones now. It was different when I was a kid and now a cell phone. The the attention to detail isn't there. So what I wanted is I wanted people who had education that protected that specifically pertain to childhood, right? And, and early childhood education. I didn't want just some 18-year-old girl coming over after school or boy 
coming over after school and just, oh, yeah, they're watching the kids. It's like that, to me, that's when accidents happen mm-hmm. that, quite frankly, are preventable. I wanted professionals looking after them. Somebody, somebody that I know continues their education because it's required by their employer. Mm-hmm. So I looked at a national chain that requires that of their mm-hmm. other educators. Is that something that, and I know there's different strokes for different folks, everybody's different, but is that something that mattered to you? And, and would you suggest that to somebody walking up to you and asking you as an educator? So again, I think that's just going to be personal preference. I think that they're like, I have a friend who, whose childcare worker for her girls is not that. She's not educationally trained. She doesn't have the sort of, I mean, she's got like the daycare credentials, but um, but her girls are loved and happy and thriving. Um, for me, I like the idea of having somebody that's constantly staying on top of educational practices. Um, and so I know that, you know, where my, my kids are, there's a lead teacher that has to have those credentials. I don't believe that everybody in the center has to have that. And I don't like that. Mm. Um, but that's just my own personal preference. I'm going to have to I look into that now. Like you, I don't. But I do like in this location. Now we haven't been able to go in there in over a year at mm. this point. But, which has been tough. But, um, you know, they have their name plates outside of the classroom walls. And I read those because I want to see what is their educational background. And I want to see what's their childcare experience. And all of those things are printed on their little placard outside. Basically, their resumes right yeah. out there, or their yeah, credentials. Yeah, it's like a little, it's like a little blurb about who they are and what their background is and what their experience is. And I take the time to read all of those as I as he traveled from room to room. Um, so yes, for me that's important, but I don't necessarily. It's not a deal breaker for everybody. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to project that onto anybody because that's not. I don't think that that's necessary, I guess. So there's, it sounds like there might be two avenues of approach. One is I basically want my child in a school environment early or, and or I suppose it could be both. I want my child to feel like they're at home with family and I want them to be loved like family. Mm-hmm. It sounds like those are two opposite ends of the same spectrum. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's obviously a, a glide slope somewhere yeah and i'm I'm, there's going to be times that those things overlap i mean there's going to be times there's if you're lucky enough you can find a center where those things overlap i I still haven't found that yet (laughs) so i'm always i'm always looking but but you bring up a good point and that is that complacency and being stuck just because you found something that works let's say for a certain age period let's a a 12 month period Mm -hmm. it works for that it might not work for the next 12 months so there might be something better out there. So it it would you're only doing yourself and your child a disservice by not looking. Yeah, I mean I'm always gonna explore. I I mean that's just who I am. I I just I'm constantly kind of looking, you know, whether it's childcare or job opportunities or schooling, you know, I'm always looking for what else is out there. You know, just kind of exploring our options, and if there's something else that lands my way that that strikes me or gives me that feel, then maybe that's the opportunity for them for me to then transition my kids or 
Or yourself. Or myself. Mm -hmm. So as our children learn in, in daycare or school or whatever, what can we do as parents to assist and supplement their their education there? And, and I'm sure you've got a lot of opinions on this, obviously, <laughs> given your background. What what can we do? How can we help? So the biggest thing is is talking to them. Talk to them like they're humans. Talk to them. Um, just surround them with language and vocabulary. Uh, Not... French language necessarily, yeah, four-letter words just, or things like that. Just, just we're not talking colorful language. No, just language. You know, just having full-on conversations, talking to them like they're mature, and and you know, teaching them what words mean. And when you you know come to a word in a book that they haven't experienced before, you know, do you know? Let, let's talk about that word. Do you know what that means? Um, and then we constantly go back to it. Like one that we're working on right now is perseverance. You know, and, and, you know, and I say to my child, what does perseverance mean? And never give up, you know? So like he, he knows, I'm not saying that he knows everything, but the more that you can teach them just in your day-to-day life, like through exposure, the better off that they're going to be, um, giving them experiences. So like taking them to museums, taking them to parks, like just introducing them to the world around you. You'd be amazed at how many kids you take on a field trip and they've never even been to, you know, the downtown area. Their backyard. Yeah, I mean, a farm. They've never seen a real-life cow before, you know. So just building those experiences because when it comes to, like, literacy and what they're reading, most of what they're going to have to do is inferential and in order for them to do that, they have to be able to draw on those experiences. And if they don't have them, then it's very hard for them to understand what an author is trying to say or what meaning they're trying to get from the book. Um, and so that's the biggest thing that you can do. It's not about, you know, throwing flashcards at them all day long and, you know, doing things like that. That's important. I mean, I think that those are things that you need to, that you should do, but communicating with them, language development, experiences, that's what's going to really push them. So it sounds like life skills. Yep. Life skills are more important. Okay. Or the most important because ultimately they have a life. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that. I really like that. I, and again, I, I grew up in a small town in the backwoods and every day during the summer, I think I spent... If I slept for eight hours, my total time inside might have been nine and a half hours. And that includes meals. Mm-hmm. Because I spent my entire day outside doing whatever. And I'm sure yeah. I'm going to get skin cancer from it from the sun. But whatever. <laughs> right. I, it, it boggles my mind. Right. So so we live in the south. We live in a, a semi-metro area. And it it is so surprising to me when I look around and you almost have to beg kids and bribe them to go mm-hmm. and experience grass yeah. or leaves. Sad. And while they're doing it, they still have their phone out and mm-hmm. they're looking at whatever. It's, it's, you're right. It is sad. I mean, parks now, when you take your kid to a park, you're very rarely overwhelmed with other people who are there because very few, and of course in 2020 and 2021, yeah. right? But even before that, there were yeah. there weren't a lot of people there, and if they were, they were adults, and they were walking the trails, or they were playing mm-hmm. tennis, or whatever. There were very few 
just, I would argue, middle and high school age kids or even elementary school kids unless they were dragged there. Right. That's that's interesting. So language and experiences, to your point, so they can draw on those life experiences mm-hmm. while they're learning something and maybe apply it. The one thing that I loved learning in school, high school, was um, physics. Mm. Because it was applied mathematics. (laughs) Yeah. Not me. The reading. (laughs) You were the, what was it? It was English and history was kind of your thing. Yeah. I like math. I do like math. Um, I struggled with math a lot. Uh, But that made me a better math teacher. Because you could relate? Because (laughs) I, I mean, honestly, like. You knew what they were going through. Yes, I knew what they were going through. I found different strategies for solving problems. Um, you know, everyone's going to probably, like, go crazy for me saying this, but I loved when Common Core came out because things began to make sense um, because it was more about the conceptual understanding versus, like, the the procedural piece of, you know, solving equations and things of that nature. Like, there was actually the... This is why it works and what it means. Right. And, um, and that's, that's kind of who I am. I always, my friend always makes fun of me because she's like, you always ask why. Like, everything has to make sense. Everything has to connect. Right. And so when Common Core, core Math came along and I was going through that process of learning those standards and learning how to teach those standards, really everything kind of connected. And I was like, man, if, if I was taught this way, then I don't think that I would have struggled as much as I did. So all of that coupled together kind of made me a better math teacher. So yes, literacy was, you know, more my thing. You know, I was always that girl with the, her nose in a book. Um, but science, no, not mm. so much. <laughs> I love physics. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm the type of person, and even still to this day, I'll just, I'll just do math. It's weird. I just do math. When I was, when I was taking physics in, in, high school there was a, a car accident and there was it was a fatality a motorcycle actually rear-ended a, a minivan and the newspaper article talked about he had newspaper we're going back that far uh talked about how long the skid mark was so based on how long the skid mark was i factored in the coefficient of friction oh boy and figured out how fast roughly how fast he was going when he rear-ended the van you know and it was all just stuff like that that i just yeah. did on my own nobody said hey you gotta do this it was right. just it was cool to me it was exciting yeah english english was never my strong suit i enjoy writing i enjoy typing things i am horrible at getting started so creative writing was something i always struggled with mm-hmm. but i loved math <laughs> loved it um so as a follow-up to that, should we as parents worry about standards? And, and if so, at what age should we worry about those standards? Obviously, we mentioned our children aren't, aren't school age yet, but at some point, they are going to be held to a standard, mm-hmm. and they are going to come home with grades, and that's going to factor into their furthering education, whether it's college or a technical school or whatever. Should we worry about standards at all, and if so, at what age? I'd say for you and I right now, no, definitely not. We don't need to be worried about standards. We need to worry, be worried about teaching our kids how to be good citizens, um, good learners, like craving learning, wanting to learn. Um, standards will come if you can if you can work on getting your child to love learning. And in order to do that, you can't 
you can't push it, right? You have to expose them to it, but you can't push that. You have to let them kind of drive that a little bit. Um, when they find a passion, you know, buying them books about whatever that, let's say that they're into dinosaurs or fire trucks or whatever the case may be, then you load up on all of those books that you possibly can so that they're just wanting, you know, to, to do the research and, and, and do that on their own. Um, so you foster it, I guess, as a... So you develop their... Desire. Desire to learn. Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily saying you have to... So going back to the Common Core example, Mm -hmm. it's not you have to do this. Why? Because I told you to. It's what do you like? Let's learn more about that. That's more the conversation it sounds like. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like that continues whether they're, you know, preschool age or in school. Um, You know, Yes, standards are important. I think that it's something that we need to be mindful of. I think those are conversations you need to have with the teacher. And all of those standards, they're, they're out there. They're public. They're, you know, it's something that you can pull up at any time. So you, you should be aware of what your kids are expected to know at whatever grade level they're in. I mean, that's something that, that you know, as a parent, you want to make sure that you are you know, constantly being made aware of what it is that they're learning so that you can support it, um, but it's not something that you need to be driving or pushing. You know, if you're teaching them to to, to study and you're teaching them to, to pay attention and to listen and all of that's going to come. I mean, it's going to come with time. Okay, I got a, I got a question for you, and this is going to be, <laughs> for me, quite selfishly, I have a fear. As my child gets older, my fear is that there will come a time in school that either the learning, the, the, the way something is being taught doesn't make sense to me, and therefore I just revert to how I was taught it, insert common core math, mm-hmm. right? Something like that. Yep. And the other thing that I fear is, quite frankly, not knowing what the heck he's trying to learn, right? Like It's like, going to happen. Like, oh my gosh, well, like statistics. I was fine in stats. I never took calc. Mm-hmm. Never took calculus. I have no. I know nothing about it. Yeah. That that's a fear of mine. How how do I do I have to learn all this stuff like <laughs> as they're learning like before like the month before because I know some parents are like oh yeah. you know what I read. I mean I'm gonna tell you once it goes beyond elementary school math there that's I'm, <laughs> you're out I'm out yeah uh, I'm out but but it's you finding the resources right so there's plenty YouTube videos I mean mm. sounds ridiculous but YouTube how to solve Coefi- I don't even know what that word means. Coefficient of friction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How to solve that. Um, there's all kinds of, like, tutorial resources that, you know, there's a live teacher that you can, like, call into. Um, so it's it's just knowing what those resources are and, and asking the school that your kids are in, you know, what are some websites they can go to 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 get better at whatever this concept is or whatever this skill is. Um, and, and like I said, once it gets beyond the elementary school level, like I'm going to be tapping into all of those things. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, just know that those are out there and like, you don't have to feel alone as to how to do it. But I will say, try your hardest not to resort to, this is how, this is how I did it. Like really try to learn if that's, you know, asking the teacher to just send you a quick video. And now that we're living in the world of COVID and, the way that technology has just 
like flourished in education and all of the things that we've learned how to do, um, take advantage of that, right? So, so if there's something that you're struggling with and you have no idea how to do it, that teacher can probably within minutes send you a quick video, send it right to your cell phone, and then you've got like that live lesson um, right in front of you. So, so you can learn because I've heard parents yeah. like. When my kid goes to sleep, I steal their book and I read the chapter ahead so I know how to help <laughs> yeah. them the next night. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to have to do that at some point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am too, okay. for sure. Okay. So so it's not about it's not about being – you got to be humble. I think I think we've already talked about mm-hmm. that. And, and being a parent, I think, is a lot of being humble and understanding that, hey, guess what? You're going to screw up at some point. Your job as a parent mm-hmm. is – Oh, I'm sure I have a million times yeah, it's, over it's to now. not yeah. screw up to the point where you screw them up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or make sure you don't have an ER trip in your future kind of thing. That's how I see it. And I talked about that in, in an earlier episode. You know, Our job as parents you know, is to – do our best not to be helicopter parents because they need to get hurt to learn their limits. Mm-hmm. Our job is to make sure they're not serious injuries. Right, no hospitals. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> um, so now you've, okay, you've had the experience from both sides. You're, you're the educator, you're the parent. What are some things that we can look for in our children to help steer them toward the right type of education and or learning environment? And I know there are things out there like... Um, STEM, science, technology, English, and mathematics, I think is what mm-hmm. it is, or engineering and mathematics. Engineering and mathematics. Uh, Montessori schools, technical schools, et cetera. What, what key things or triggers should we look for? And I know you talked about earlier, but just have a conversation, it sounds like. Maybe just talk to them. Just talk to them, watch them, observe them. I mean, I can tell you right now at three years old, like, my child needs to be in a traditional school. Like, he, he needs, he needs the experience of knowing what comes next, right? So at 8 o'clock, I do math. At 9.15, we start literacy. Like, he's he's going to be one of those kids that just, he thrives on structure. Um, and so traditional school for him is, I think, the avenue that, that we need to go. But just observing, like, their day-to-day, how they go about life. You know, if they have a passion that they, it's the only thing that they can focus on. Maybe they like to take things apart and put things back together and they do it a million times over, you know, then maybe looking at kind of a a STEM option is, you know, something that's, you want to find something that's more of like a centralized on that, like a magnet opportunity or, you know, they have music magnets and art magnets and, you know, engineering magnets. Um, you know, Montessori is going to be more of... Help us understand, what is what is what is a Montessori school? You talk about a traditional school. What is a Montessori school? So Montessori is going to be where um, it's very self-directed learning. So it's where they go in and they want to say, they say, I want to learn about ancient Egypt. And so they go on their way and... All of a sudden, I'm Indiana Jones and yeah, I'm in the middle so, of this book corner somewhere. Okay. Yeah, so they, it's, I mean, I will say that there there still are standards that they have to follow. I mean, in the district that I work in, we have we have Montessori schools, um, and they still are held to the same standard. Um, they still have the same assessments that we have to take, but at the same time, like, it's very much self-guided, self-directed. It's very teacher-facilitated as opposed to teacher-directed and teacher-led. 
Um, so they're just kind of there asking the questions and guiding kids in different directions as opposed to explicitly teaching something. That must take a different type of educator. It does. Yeah, it's different credentials. Well, I'm saying just personality wise, Mm -hmm. it's got to be, I can't imagine somebody who is, is extremely structured would do well in an environment like that either. No, I mean, that's what you, right. Yeah. It's the flow. It's what, so it, it's whatever it sounds like whatever the kid wants to learn about like like you were mentioned with dinosaurs and fire trucks like mm-hmm. strike while the iron's hot find what mm-hmm. what their passion is and it almost they kind of get to guide themselves yeah it's it, you find ways to embed the standards in whatever their interest is rather than you know we're learn we're all learning about the civil war we're all learning about ancient egypt it's it's i can deliver the same content the same standards but through different avenues for through whatever it is that they're studying. Gotcha. Okay. Independently. So so that's something that sounds like we just observe mm-hmm. and and talk to them. What are some maybe some key things that we should look for if traditional or Montessori? Like, is there is there any one thing, or is it more just like, hey, my kid loves to tear things apart and put them back together frequently, so STEM might be the direction. What would be a Montessori direction? I don't have a Montessori child, so it's hard for me to, to to pinpoint exactly what it is. But I would say those kids that can kind of go off into their own little room or their own little corner of the house, and they just start navigating something, and they can they can do it for hours on end, and just be so enthralled in it that they you know they it kind of consumes them. Um, but in a good way. I don't. I don't want it to. Almost be. like they go away and then they come back and tell you something that they learned. Yeah, it's like they they just their own self discovery. Um, if you can, if your kids are willing to do that, I mean, the the way kids are on technology now, right? Like if they have an interest in something, like you mentioned your your Greek mythology, mm-hmm. you know, like all of a sudden they can tell you all about the different gods and goddesses and because they have gone and done all of the learning on their own and done the research and and you know they come downstairs one day and they've got this giant you know trifle board of all these things that they've learned about and you know I don't know they're going to go that far but it's they're more of a master of something than you will ever be Mm. um you know so it's an inch wide a mile deep right gotcha yeah. Do you think you would have been better in a Montessori no. type school? No, mm-hmm. you needed the structure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that. Yep. No, I, no. <laughs> okay. So shift gears a little bit. Okay. How has being a parent changed your perspectives at work as an educator? Uh, it has it, I guess, first and foremost. <laughs> and if so, do you have an example that you, that you'd like to share? <laughs> <laughs> I take that as a little bit. So... Major. I want to say it's made me more understanding. Um, you know, like I think back to my my teacher days, where I'm like, oh, how could they not have this homework done? It was literally four questions. Like, why don't they have this done? But now my kid comes home with homework, and I'll tell you by the time that my husband and I are finished with work, it is a full-blown marathon. Um, dinner trying to, you know, spend some time with them, baths, bedtime. You know, we're, we're putting two kids to bed at once. We've got, you know, an infant as well. So it's it takes two of us. And trying to 
get our oldest to sit down and do his homework, it's brutal. He he doesn't like it. He's tired. He's been working all day. I know that sounds silly because he's a toddler. Yeah, but he's learning everything. Everything's he's new. Lear- it is. But, you know, he, he he's finished with dinner and we're trying to throw this simple worksheet where all he has to do is, you know, connect to, to the squares, connect the line to the squares. And he says, am I done now? Can I go play? Can I go play? And... I say yes because you've you've learned all day and you're tired and you want to play with your own toys and so it's a struggle and so I I am definitely a lot more understanding as to why things might not get done on a daily basis because there's a lot happening at home. Um, in fact, we at this at the school that I've worked in actually for the last several years, um, and so even prior to me being a parent, we've actually cut out homework altogether. Um, and so kids don't have homework. No, they don't have homework, and it's it's brilliant. I mean, I I think it's I think it's great that we've done that, and I even more I'm a firm believer now that I have a child who is having to go through that process. Um, so that what was the precursor to that, and have has your school system seen a change in? Because I know every every school system, every state, when they take these standardized tests, obviously you're graded against your peers, so to speak, as a school system. Mm-hmm. Has it changed at all? It hasn't changed. So, so the grades haven't gone up, but they haven't gone down. No, um, I mean, you're never really fully confident who's doing the home, who's doing the work at home. So there's that element. So are they actually continuing to learn at home, or is it somebody else that's doing it for them? If they have no one helping them, are they practicing? their work incorrectly and so then that's being ingrained in their minds wrong you know the wrong method for solving something or you know doing something um going back to what I was saying before about like experiences like it it takes away from those opportunities for families to sit down and just play a game together or you know be involved in a sport or you know things like they're trying so many times I've had kids that are like, oh, I had football practice. I had, you know, such and such. And, you know, I don't want to say school's a priority because, yes, it is, but so so is that. Like, you know, having those opportunities for sports and having those opportunities for other social skills outside of academics, I think all of those things are important. So harmonizing, mm, right? Yes. And, um, you know, making sure that they have time after the school day is over to be able to do all of those things, to have time with their family, to have time with their sport, to have time with their Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or whatever, you know, whatever it is that they're involved in or their passions are. Um, because they're learning there too. They're learning in sports right. how to play as a team and how right. to rely on others and how you do your job, which is uh, very important in the yeah. work environment. Yeah. And so, you know, giving all 20 kids in your class the same 10 problems, like, you know, what is that teaching them? Right. You know, this kid is already a master at it, and this kid doesn't understand how to do one single problem. You know, so instead of giving standardized homework, it's why don't you go home and read? Pick a book that you want to and read. So it's not that we don't encourage, encourage, right? You know, if they're struggling, if this one's struggling with multiplication and this one's struggling with fractions, then go home and, and go on this website and you do your learning path for a few minutes on whatever topic it is that you're, you know, you're ready to move on to and you need to kind of go backwards a little bit and, you know, you work on your own learning path. So 
it's not that the school day ends at 3.30 or whenever the bell rings. It's that it's more structured to the needs of the student, it sounds like. So it's not like, okay, everybody's got the same thing. Everybody, this is what's expected of you. It's like, hey, don't let this be. So it almost empowers them, it sounds, to learn how to independently learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Wow, I like that. Yeah. So... My first impression was, oh, God, no homework when these kids do it. But learn how to independently Yeah, and learn. it's not it's not um, universal. I mean, there's lots of schools in my district, and, you know, the last couple that I've happened to work at, you know, we've had that policy, but that's not, it's not common practice. I mean, there's still, and there's a lot of teachers that don't believe in it and that they had to, you know, just... Well, they probably walked up kind of 14 up miles each way to school. Yeah, too. so they... Um, it was it was a tough transition for some, you know. When we when I moved into the school that I'm in right now as the assistant principal, and um, myself and the principal, we, we kind of made that call when we were you know developing the handbook and things of that nature. It was it was a tough pill to swallow for some of them, but they've embraced it. So you didn't make many friends when you first got there, <laughs> or maybe you did. did. Maybe you made some yeah. really good we friends did. and made some some pretty sharp uh, enemies maybe right off the bat. Yeah, that's funny. It's just a matter of them understanding the why, you know, and so when we can give them that, it helps them understand a little bit more. Um, so kind of going back to your question, I guess. So so I have a more understanding now that I'm a parent. Um, I definitely, as, as an administrator, um, I think about the parent's perspective on everything. So... How is a parent going to receive whatever the message is? Is it going to come in a come across in a way that they understand it? Um, I over communicate everything. So if a child has to come to my office for anything, anything, even if it's just for you know a minute for me to talk to them about a situation that happened in their classroom, I always call their parent and let them know. Um, hey, they're in my office. Just wanted to let you know that I just had to ask them a couple questions about a situation that happened in their classroom, they're fine, everything's fine, they're not in trouble. Um, but for me, like, if I knew that my kids came home and said, I had to go to the principal's office. You'd be on the horn right away. Yeah, I mean, right now, there was one day that, you know, my child came home and said he didn't get a sticker on his chart, and I already emailed the teacher, and it was like, hey, what happened? You know, and not that I was mad about it, but I wanted to know what happened so that I could then reinforce whatever the case was at home and he happened to be telling me a story that didn't actually happen but <laughs> but again it's that over communication piece and the teacher responded and said if that ever happens I will always let you know and I just said you know thank you that's, that, that's, that probably made you feel that's good. all I ask you know yeah, yeah so um communication um I'm empathetic I have that mama's heart on everything now so when a parent calls with their like I'm gonna use the quote sob story I get it, you know, I'm like, I, I get it, I'm a mama, I I understand, that would make me upset too, you know, um, so there's a lot of things that I feel like has changed me as an educator, as an administrator, um, now being a parent, for sure. For the better, it sounds like, too. Yeah, I think so. Because it sounds like now you, you might be able to relate to the family dynamic a little bit more, which ultimately helps the family. Yeah, I think my teachers, I think it drives my teachers a little crazy because... Because you're too easy? No, I'm not too easy. Well, in some ways, in some cases I am. You know, <laughs> they, they want me to suspend a kid and I'm like, well, let's talk about this for a second, you know? Mm. So I always try to, to figure out different scenarios. Um, 
But, you know, for example, when report cards come out, you know, I, I have to, I just review the report cards. I look at the comments that they write. I look at the grades. I, you know, kind of look at all of those things. And previously as a teacher, when you just kind of write that comment, like, have a great summer or, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoy having them in class. Like, that may be true, but now I'm looking at it and saying, okay, this child went from a B to a C, but you didn't write any kind of comment as to mm. why that happened. So can you please just give them just a single sentence as to... What's the rationale? Because as a mom, I would want to know. You enjoyed having my kid, but yet they did poor in your right. class. Yeah, exactly. So, again, it's that like over communication piece. So you make them do more work. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> but going back to your mentor, let's but bring it, it all it the way But it saves a lot of time because then they don't have those parent phone calls. True. Trying to figure out what happened you know if they just take the time then they make the time up later on Mm -hmm. and going back to your mentor at the beginning you felt that in the moment you were frustrated and overwhelmed occasionally Mm -hmm. but looking back on it you wouldn't change it for anything and you were so grateful to have it it sounds as though you might be creating a similar environment for the teachers under your administration and I'm sure that there may be a version of you that's working in that environment right now that's maybe saying, hey, you know what? This sucks. And 10 years from now, they're going to call you and say, thank you so much. I'd like to think so. Yeah. And if not, there's always time, right? Right, (laughs) You just get harder and harder until it happens. (laughs) I'd like to think so. (laughs) Well, hey, Aaron, thank you so much for coming out, for, for being a part of this, for sitting down and talking with me and and helping me understand how I can be a better parent going forward and how I can be more involved, again, not financially in my child's future, but just emotionally and and from a support network. Support takes many forms, not the least of which is, quite frankly, just being there, being involved, introducing them to language, having conversations and things like that. The one last question I'd like to ask you, and and I ask this of of all the guests, um, is there something... And it's kind of the whole reason I started this podcast, quite frankly, is there were many things that I learned later in life that I wish I had known a lot sooner Mm -hmm. uh, at a much younger age. And there were some things I'm like, how did how did nobody ever tell me this? Like, okay, part of it's on me. But is there something that you learned later in life, let's say after high school or, or after college or whatever, that changed things so much for you that you couldn't believe that it was the first time you were learning it? I don't know that it was so much something that I learned as more of like something that impacted me. Yeah, okay. That has now changed kind of the way that I look at everything. Um, So as I mentioned before, I lost my mom at a really young age. Um, So my dad was everything. My best friend, my coach, my just anything. Um, And then I lost him unexpectedly in 2014, early 2014. Well, in 2013, I'm not really sure what happened, but the universe was telling me something and I traveled so many times with him. So I took off of work. I cashed in 401ks. (laughs) I racked up debt. Um, I went to Vietnam with him. We went on a cruise. Um, we did all kinds of things together. Just 
I didn't care about anything. Like, I just went to my boss. It was actually the same one who is very family-oriented. And I said, hey, my dad won a free cruise. He wants to take me with me. Can, can, can I go? Can I have a week off of work to go? And, you know, he kind of just gave me the side eye and then made it happen. Um, you know, the, the trip to Vietnam. So I, I made all kinds of memories, which, you know, three months later, I lost him. So to me, that was my universe's way of saying, like, you did what you were supposed to. And kind of looking down the road, um, I kind of think about that all the time. And I think, you know, what if I didn't take that? What if I put work first? What if I said it's too expensive? What if, what if, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wouldn't have those, those memories that I had like, right up to the end. And so I, I try to live my life like that now, like, if an opportunity presents itself, I try to figure out a way to make it work. Um, and, you know, thinking about, like, the people that I work with, if an opportunity is presented to them, rather than saying, oh, no, you cannot have these seven days off of work. There's just no way to make it work. We find a way to make it work because you never know what could happen. Like, you never know. you never know what the future holds. And so... Just don't let anything stop you from taking advantage of something that you might not normally have the opportunity to take advantage of. So I guess that's what I wish someone had told me earlier on. Like, I think I would have taken advantage of way more opportunities um, kind of leading up to today. But going forward, that's all I can do. So I would just tell that to anybody. That's, that's my advice to everybody is just... Don't let fear stop you from whatever the situation may be. I love it. Thank you. That was that was awesome. That was powerful. That I'm I'm taking that one with me. I'm taking that one with me for sure. And that's selfishly I get to do that. I get to sit and I get to listen to stories and, and thoughts and opinions and I get to I get to grow from them as a person. So thank you. Sure. Um I'd also like to say honestly, just thank you again for coming out, yeah. taking the time tonight to sit down and to talk and to to help me understand how to be a better parent, to help the listeners understand how to be, a, and maybe maybe there's a budding educator out there. Do you have any last words of wisdom for a budding educator? <sighs> budding words of wisdom here. Um, don't let COVID nineteen and all of the things that you've heard stop you from. If that's a passion of yours, then then still go for it. We need teachers. We need quality teachers all the time. I mean, if you think about any career that is in this world, doctors, lawyers, scientists, astronauts, they all learn somewhere and that's the power that you have. Um, And so just keep that in mind. You know, when everyone thinks, oh, these teachers are just working from home and they're being lazy, it just, it kills me when I hear those kind of comments um, because that's not true. My teachers have worked harder than anybody I, I know throughout this entire past year. Um, so don't let that stop you or scare you. Like, keep at it. If it's a passion, if it's your calling, if it's something you want to pursue, pursue it. Don't yes. let anybody tell you otherwise. Right. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, again, thanks for coming out. And uh, for, for the listeners out there, I'll go ahead and, um, and link some things in the show notes. On the next episode, I will be discussing financial 
basics. If you have any feedback, feel free to send me an email at podcast at therenpo.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-N-P-O.com. I would also appreciate it if you left a review wherever you podcast. That helps the show be discoverable to others and helps me understand where things can be improved. Don't forget to subscribe and auto-download new episodes so you don't miss any of the future topics. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.